Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast and in this episode I'm going to talk about European diplomacy from 1909 to 1912, um, a brief period really from 1909 to about 1911 whereby tensions were actually declining. However, the decline in tensions across Europe was really illusory. It was what the historian Sean McMeekin refers to as an Indian summer meaning that it was an unnaturally long interlude um, of calm in volatile European affairs. And once this had come to an end, the circumstances that make a European war more likely are highly prevalent and unfold with uh, great speed between 1912 and 1914. The first Bosnian crisis of 1908, in which the Austro-Hungarian Empire annexed the uh, region of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which they had held as a mandate since the Congress of Berlin, but in 1908 it firmly becomes part of Austro-Hungarian territory, um, had been an event which came close to plunging all of Europe into the kind of war that finally happens in 1914. Russia and Serbia outraged over the um, annexation and the uh, transference of uh, Bosnian uh, citizens, uh, former citizens, former subjects of the uh, Ottoman Empire, into um, subjects of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, had um, threatened war. And it had only been the threat of Germany weighing in on Austria's side, which had stayed Russia's hand. Russia, having fought and lost a disastrous war with Japan in 1905 and endured the revolutionary period in 1904 and 1905, which came very close to unseating the Tsar and spread chaos uh, across the Russian Empire, was in no hurry to engage in a war with a power perhaps even more likely to cause devastation to Russia than Japan. It was this, the first Bosnian crisis, and the avoidance of the first uh, of war over Bosnia the first time round, that seems to have given Europe a, uh, a few extra years of relative peace 
uh, before the crisis explodes again in 1914, when in the uh, Bosnian capital Sarajevo, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophia of the Austro-Hungarian Empire were assassinated by Serbian nationalists. Bosnia-Herzegovina was of course a Serbian kind of irredenta land. The territories that the Serbs believed they always had a uh, claim over, the country was divided ethnically uh, between Bosnians, uh, Bosnian Serbs, I beg your pardon, and uh, Ottoman Bosnians, Bosnian Muslims, who, and there were, uh, of course, uh, a, a variety of other uh, nationalities dotted throughout the territory, such as uh, Croats and Slovenes and uh, other Balkan peoples. And if you read um, Christopher Clarke's brilliant book, The Sleepwalkers, he writes a very vivid chapter on how Serbian nationalism, when Serbia uh, emerged from the Ottoman Empire, finally, uh, in full independence after 1878, Serbian nationalism was a, a very vital, powerful, growing, uh, assertive and uh, aggressive force which really knew no confines. Um, territories outside Serbian borders, uh, such as Bosnia-Herzegovina, which the Serbs traditionally lay claim to, and had uh, large pockets of uh, Serbian peoples living there, uh, became the flashpoint of Serbian nationalism, and became uh, their claims on those uh, lands became... Uh, deeply seated within Serbian folk culture, a resurgent and vibrant Serbian folk culture, which uh, had uh, emerged uh, as Serbia became an independent nation-state. By 1910, however, tensions across Europe were in relative decline. The naval race between Britain and Germany, for example, which after 1906 um, and the launching of the HMS Dreadnought, um, became uh, began to grow it go into gradual uh, decline. Germany had uh, realized it had lost the race uh, and it couldn't match the uh, Royal Navy in terms of tonnage, though at the Battle of Jutland in terms of um, shells, gunnery, and uh, most other um, measures, it uh, matches the Royal Navy shot for shot. The Chancellor of Germany, Bethmann Hollweg, um, decided that it was time to uh, forge a, a more consensual path with Great Britain and uh, wanted to pull the plug on the naval race altogether uh, by essentially offering to scrap the high seas fleet or much of it. This was unacceptable to the Kaiser and to the naval minister, Alfred von Terpitz, um, who had pushed through the three naval bills uh, since the start of the, the century. Um, in addition to this decline in tensions over uh, shipbuilding and uh, arms races between Britain and Germany, uh, Russia began to ease its stance uh, towards Germany as well. Uh, Izvolsky, uh, who had been the foreign minister at the time of the first Bosnian crisis, resigned. And he was replaced by Sergei Sazanov, who was far more uh, interested in cordial relations with Germany. Sazanov was well aware 
that the revolution of 1905 could not under any circumstance be repeated and uh, Russia could not afford another major war. In one instance of uh, conciliation and cooperation, Russia under Sazonov made an arrangement in 1910 that the uh, Berlin-Baghdad railway that was being built between Germany and Mesopotamia would also have a line that ran to the border with Persia. And this would be balanced out by a promise from Germany, extracted from Germany, um, that it would not support any further um, aggressive actions by Austria in the Balkans. This would, in this would by extension, take the heat off um, Russia in terms of its Balkan policy much of which was motivated by wounded national pride and uh, traditional uh, pan-Slavic alliances and a traditional pan-Slavic worldview from Russia that it must be the defender of the Serbs and the, Sl the Slavic-speaking uh, Slavic peoples of the Balkans. A vivid symbol of European cooperation in 1910, or at least European conciliation in 1910, was the uh, stellar turnout in London for the funeral of Edward VII, in which nearly every head of state across Europe um, turned out to pay their respects. Edward VII, Bertie, was by and large highly respected. I think I've previously uh, done a podcast on the um, Entente Cordiale, the Anglo-French uh, agreement, in 1904 and um, the involvement of Edward VII in that as a kind of um, honest broker between France and his home country, Great Britain. However, this brief period of calm was one which kind of papered over the cracks of fundamental divisions uh, across Europe. The Balkan issue had not gone away and was destined to resurface and the uh, resentment that the Russians and the Serbs had of the Austrian annexation of Bosnia-Herzegovina had uh, not gone anywhere. Uh, it had, there had been um, an attempt at conciliation by Sazonov, but by and large, that these kinds of um, attitudes uh, didn't dissipate. Izvolsky, when he resigned... Uh, was given um, the job of uh, the ambassador to Paris. Um, and when he was uh, in, in situ there, he spent his time, as ambassadors in the 19th century were often able to do, away from um, St. Petersburg, away from the confines of government, and was able to operate a kind of parallel foreign policy one, uh, one which was notionally uh, a Russian foreign policy, but was really an Izvolskian one. So Izvolsky himself was using, the, using his office to plot his vengeance on the Austrians and the Germans. The Serbs uh, were outraged. And from 1908 onwards, Serbian nationalism was defined by its opposition to and hatred of um, Austria and Germany, but particularly uh, Austria. The uh, Narodna Odbrana, or National Defence um, Organisation, a secret society, uh, formed itself, but also did the um, Union or Death Organisation 
which was also known as the Black Hand. So it was the first Bosnian crisis that created the organisations within the Austro uh, within Serbia that would precipitate the second Bosnian crisis and the First World War, uh, or it would create the spark for the First World War anyway. It's perhaps more useful to look at the two Bosnian crises as really one and the same um, set of historical processes. Uh hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, for our purposes. Austrian Foreign Minister Ehrenthal, um, following the annexation of Bosnia, um, had decided that it might be a good idea to offer other European powers a degree of compensation for the uh, uh, concession that would be granted to Austria. Now, this was um, a policy that had really been pioneered 20 years earlier at the Berlin Congress of 1884-85. And the Berlin Congress was a meeting of great powers to decide the orderly division and partition and colonisation of Africa, the carving up of Africa. This was the kind of the, the key moment of the scramble for Africa. Spheres of influence were established and um, colonies were horse-traded between different uh, colonisers. And that meant that um, when the British were given concessions in East Africa, that they had to give favours and uh, concessions to the Belgians or the French in other parts of the continent. And now this process was being applied in Europe. The fact that the uh, practices that were being applied to Africa and Asia were returned to Europe foreshadowed the Great War in uh, many ways. The destruction of the First World War and the unparalleled level of violence and brutality in Europe perpetrated on Europeans, uh, by Europeans, had in part been pioneered uh, in the half century of colonisation beforehand. If you think about the levels of mass killing and starvation and murder that were perpetrated in uh, German uh, Southwest Africa, in the Belgian Congo, or during the Indian Mutiny, the suppression of the Indian Mutiny of uh, 1857, you get a taste of, you get a clue of the levels of destruction that were then perpetrated by Europeans on Europeans, and the um, introduction shortly after the First World War, and by certainly by the end of the Second World War, of the level of uh, racial thinking that was uh, injected into Europe, the kind of racism that had seemed commonplace and everyday in Europe's colonies and uh, seemed and had almost a degree of public legitimacy when applied to Europe's colonies, 
uh, was considered monstrous when uh, brought back to Europe itself. And the practices of, of empire really do seem to kind of have had a kind of a, a blowback, I think would be the modern term, back into Europe and have kind of infected uh, European uh, foreign policy, European um, warcraft, the state of, of, of uh, militarism in Europe, and a number of other things. The Ottoman Empire um, was compensated for the loss of control over Herzegovina, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and Ehrenthal said that he would withdraw Austrian troops from the Sanjak of Novi Pazar, which was a strip of land um, between uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina and uh, Serbia um, and Montenegro. The Serbs and the Montenegrins were basically separated by the Sanjak of Novi Pazar and the garrison of Austrian troops that were there. But the uh, Ottomans didn't view this as a particularly attractive prospect. They knew that putting their troops there would gain them nothing in terms of strategic advantages. They were surrounded by enemies on both sides. And they saw this gift um, from the, uh, the uh, Austrians as being um, the kind of the the, the worse than consolation prize that it actually was. And they were given a, a salient of land which was basically undefendable. The uh, Austrians had basically sent a big signal to the Serbs and the Montenegrins that the Sanjak of Novi Pazar could be invaded whenever they wanted to do so. Now that the Ottomans didn't fancy um, garrisoning it very um, particularly. Um, Rome has also sent a strong message by Ehrenthal, um, and this has far more significant consequences. Obviously, Italy, unified in 1861 and uh, a latecomer to the imperial game, um, was bitterly resentful of the other imperial powers of Europe and saw uh, colonies and imperial expansion as part of the legitimising process of any European nation-state, without an empire, what is, uh, what is the country really? Italy, since uh, 1882, had been part of the uh, Triple Alliance with uh, Berlin and uh, Vienna. But Austria, Hungary and Italy uh, had been traditionally rivals. There had been a long, long enmity throughout the 19th century with, uh, with bitter resentments uh, going back into the formation of Italy and the domination of Italy by Austria. And the um, plan that Italy had, which was very poorly concealed, was the designs along the Adriatic coastline, what would now be Croatia, um, the Dalmatian coastline. Um, and the Italians believed, because there was a large um, proportion of Italian speakers there, a large Italian ethnic minority, that um, this should uh, go to them, along with uh, Austrian uh, Trieste and South Tyrol in the Alps. All of these were war aims for Italy during the First World War. Uh, Italians were outraged by the annexation of Bosnia-Herzegovina, um, because they thought that if anybody should be compensated, if any um, parts of the former Ottoman Empire should be divided up and handed to a European power, it should be uh, the Dalmatian coastline handed to Italy. The, these would eventually be referred to, um, after the First World War, as the Irredentalands. 
and irredentism becomes a key phrase throughout the 20th century of sort of frustrated expansionist nationalism. One of the last acts of Izvolsky, uh, before he stepped down in uh, 1910, was to try to come to an arrangement with Italy between Russia and uh, Italy. They wanted to establish a uh, bilateral security agreement, uh, which was uh, essentially an anti-Austrian pact. Russia would offer support um, for Italian claims in Libya, uh, Tripolitania and Cyrenica, which is, um, uh, comprises modern-day uh, Libya. These were two provinces of the Ottoman Empire, and they're the last uh, Ottoman outposts in Africa. Italy had basically secured um, promises from Germany and Britain that um, they would allow whatever Italy, Italy's actions in Libya might be. Um, the uh, Germans and the British aren't very concerned by uh, Italy, by Libya, and it doesn't really appear on their kind of radar particularly. Uh, Ehrenthal in Austria said, well, perhaps if you gave us um, uh, some uh, leeway over the Bosnian annexation, you didn't protest it too much, we might not uh, protest if you were to seize uh, Libya. And so this kind of horse trading uh, from the 1870s onwards was a uh, real driver of European imperialism, particularly in Africa. If there were uh, favours that one European power could do for another, then another European power might uh, look the other way, not protest, relax its claims on somewhere or, um, or other, in order to allow a colonisation uh, land grab to occur. The Russians, of course, were looking at the Dardanelles Straits, the, the Bosphorus and the, um, the route from the Black Sea into the Mediterranean, and that was the bit of Ottoman territory that they rather wanted to annex and thought that uh, a crisis in Libya might help them to do that. In 1911, the second Morocco crisis began. Uh, it, not, the first one in 1905 saw the Kaiser... Wilhelm visited the Moroccan Sultan Abdulaziz in Tangier, and the Germans thought that this would be, or particularly the Kaiser thought that this would be a great way to put pressure on the new Anglo-French Entente. If, uh, the, if Morocco, which was in the French sphere of influence, could be interfered with by the Germans, it would be interesting to see what the British would do and whether they would back down. This didn't work, and the um, failure of the uh, plan by the Kaiser led to a, an agreement by most of Europe's powers on the rights of um, France in Morocco, so it spectacularly backfired. In 1911, the new sultan, Abdul Hafid, um, who was facing a rebellion from the Berber tribes people in Morocco, asks France for military assistance, and the French were more than happy to oblige. The um, SMS Panther, a German battleship, arrived at the same time, or roughly the same time, and uh, weighed anchor at the Atlantic port of Agadir. Um, the war possibilities over Morocco loom large. Not only has France staked, staked its claim to Morocco, 
and its desire to intervene on behalf of its puppet ruler. But now the um, German navy has sent a battleship in order to um, send an ominous message to all parties. The British began to think uh, seriously about war with Germany and it was only the same old bit of colonial horse trading with the uh, Germans being given uh, parts of the Congo in return for uh, French uh, control uh, over a new protectorate of Morocco that prevented World War I from breaking out over North Africa. However, this presented a golden opportunity for Italy to now uh, wage war on the Ottoman Empire in order to seize their uh, hoped-for colony in Libya. In the next podcast, or well, one later in the week, I'll be covering the uh, Ottoman-Italian War of 1911, and we'll go into that in, in slightly greater depth than we've got time for now. Anyway, thanks for listening, hope you find this useful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.